Welcome to the Difference of 13 podcast, where we make a difference by doing it differently. We have trouble getting this started. We do. Every week. Part of it is that we have an amazing guest with us this week, though. I know. I'm we are so, just, we're just I'm, enamored with him. And, I'm and, awestruck. And his being that, what's the name of this podcast again? Difference of 13. <laughs> I think today it's the Frank Show. It's the Frank, Frank Show. Show. Oh, I thought you meant the whole podcast, not just the episode. I, I guess we could have taken that either way. Will it? Right. Well, we didn't introduce the podcast. That's true. And you didn't say who you are, and I didn't say who I am. By this point, they should know who I am, hopefully. But hopefully. if you don't know, my name is Chris. And I'm Terry. And, and we have an amazing guest with us. Frank. Well, thank you, guys. Nice yeah. to meet you all. Yeah. So, um, my name is Frank. I, I'm currently a master's student at UNC um, in their program of nutrition and dietetics. And uh, yeah, I was a strength and conditioning coach here just recently. Yeah. So Frank was, um, well, the reason we're bringing Frank on is actually we had to write in a couple questions about eccentric training a little while ago. Uh, and we were finally able to get him away from his studies and all his other right. research commitments. Uh, and now I think we need to let everyone know you're not just a master's student. You're, you're a second master's right. student. Right, because yes. one wasn't enough. Right. <laughs> so he, he's getting as much brain to go with his brawn. But he, uh, amazingly smart guy, uh, was really instrumental in helping us get our eccentric training going um, and really kind of a catalyst for a lot of the research that we're currently doing in-house mm -hmm. now. Uh, and we had talked, I think, about eccentric training early on in one of the early episodes. Yes. Uh, so we have a number of questions that we need to ask you today, Frank. Absolutely. Um, so we just, and we thought it would be fitting since you read all of those 40-some-odd articles on eccentric <laughs> training when we were writing those articles. Um, so I think we'll kind of, we'll jump into that. Is, is there any... Thing else interest let's what's an interesting fact about yeah, you that, fun fact. that people would know fun, fun fact, fact about, about frank good question uh i i am uh outside of the sports performance world i also do help with research in type 1 diabetes right now and uh, i'm a competitive weightlifter uh was kentucky state champ before moving to north carolina i um, haven't lifted haven't competed recently but i'm working on getting back there Excellent. Cool. I think we should Excellent. do uh, either or. A little, little rapid fire game. Okay. Impromptu, since we didn't tell them. No. We'll get, we'll get the best answers that way. That's the best. All right. You got a couple thoughts in your head? No. All right. I'll start. <laughs> you start. All right. Here we go. Ready? Wait, what Pizza or grinders? I don't know what grinders are. <gasps> hoagie. I don't know. What, they, oh, what do they call them sub. in Louisville? Uh, sub. Sub. Hoagie. Yeah. Sub. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we didn't account for regional differences <laughs> right? in names of food there. Well, what do you call it? Soda or pop? Pop. Pop. Oh, see, that's mm -hmm. ice cream for me, where I'm from. Or a lollipop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. See, in New Orleans, they call it any soft drink is a Coke. So if you go to a restaurant and you say, they, you know, what do you have to drink? Oh, I'll have a Coke. And then they'll say, what kind? And that's when you'll say Dr. Pepper 7-Up or Coca-Cola. Really? Yeah. So they're all generically a Coke. And then you have to further clarify. Well, everyone listening, you are welcome. You now know how to order soda in New Orleans. And you now know some regional differences. Apparently, our, our rapid fire game got shot to yeah. hell there. Um, so That's trivia. We might as well go into what Frank's here to talk about. Right. That's eccentric uh, training. So, um, so one of the, the requests that we had uh, was specifically asking, what is eccentric training? And how can she be sure that she's doing it correctly, particularly if she doesn't have a trainer 
or you know, a therapist or somebody there to show her how she's doing it. So, so why don't we, that's a couple of questions there. Why don't we start with what is eccentric training and then we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Um, well, eccentric training is this training that focuses on the eccentric portion of movement. So that's the portion when um, the muscle is lengthening or usually kind of, you can think of it as the portion when you're yielding to the weight. So like in a, in a squat, for example, where you, the portion where you're descending to the bottom of the squat would be the eccentric portion. Um, the reason why we focus on this portion is because um, we are generating a lot of tension while the muscle is lengthening. And during this process, we store a lot of energy in our tendons. And, and that if we are stronger through this portion of lift, we can transfer some of the energy better, yielding to more, more powerful movement um, during the concentric phase that we, we typically focus on. So I think let's let's kind of let's go third grade level just so mm -hmm. we have lots of varying different levels of listeners. Yes. So uh, if you're a medical professional, uh, just bear with us. But I, I really want to make sure that everybody understands because it, it's so important that the average gym goer might not know the difference between a tendon and a ligament. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they may not know the difference of that. So when you say that the energy is stored in the ligament or sorry in the tendon, what does that mean? So. Uh, tendons are like a kind of a um, they connect the muscle to the bones. So it's like this this um, tissue that is it's not contractile, but it kind of it as you can think of like a rubber band as as you are lowering this it's, it's stretching. Like if you're going to stretch a rubber band, you would notice that you kind of store energy. So when you release that rubber band, it springs away. Right. And the and bigger the rubber band, the more energy exactly. you, can, you can so explode with. A thicker, bigger band is going to be, um, going to yield a bigger, mm -hmm. bigger rebound. Right. So, and when we are, so we're going in that, if we use the squat, for example, so mm -hmm. someone's standing up tall, they start to sit down slowly. That's the eccentric part. So the yes. increased tension is a, happening in the muscles and the tendon just in the muscles or um, is it occurring so the the tension is throughout the kind of muscle and tendon they kind of function as a unit mm -hmm. um, and so as you're lowering um, the muscles are actively um, contracting still to kind of maintain posture and to control your movement as you go down um, and so during that process the, the longer we take the kind of control and um, slow that movement, the longer the tendons and muscles are going to be under tension. And that, what is that? And that produces a better mm -hmm. result. How? Um, well, over time with training focused on that portion, we can, um, develop stronger connective tissues, the so stronger tendons themselves. Like we said, like the bigger, the rubber band, the better it's able to store and release energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it also helps develop the muscle itself. So you get a stronger muscle that's more capable of controlling the and absorbing force like we would do in the lowering portion of the lift. Gotcha. Okay. So, so trying to do your exercises super fast is not what we're going for here, right? Not with this type of training. No. Right. Yeah. So some of our juniors who come in and they run through their circuit in 20 seconds, <laughs> it's probably not doing it the right way. No, and that's actually we've started. One of the reasons we really love the eccentric training, particularly for juniors, is it forces them to slow down and it forces them to own the movement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's some of the other benefits I'll let Frank talk about. You know, what are the other benefits? You know, obviously, we've talked about there's an increase in tension. Uh, it, it helps with energy storing. 
Um, and then obviously that will lead to better explosion and more power. Mm-hmm. What are some other benefits of eccentric training? Why would What would be some other reasons why uh, you know, our, our listener or viewers would want to potentially look at implementing this type of training? Uh, well, one of the main ones you kind of just hit on the nail by talking about you know, owning the movement. So um, as far as like refining technique and getting better technique, yeah, eccentric focus is great because it requires you to kind of slow down and be cognizant of your, your posture and your technique as you move through the movement. Um, and then um, as a coach, it's great um, from our perspective because it gives us time to, to view your technique and see where maybe you might be moving incorrectly. And then it allows us an opportunity to correct that movement um, and then reinforce it through longer periods of time um, in that posture. And if so, in this instance, so she doesn't have a coach. Mm-hmm. So if she was doing this in front of a mirror, that would essentially give her time. Yeah, or to look at you know, everyone has through. their cell phone on them nowadays. Um, most of them have video capabilities. Um, a great practice is to the video yourself, especially on technique on exercises you're a little weary about. Um, there's a lot of great resources. I'm pretty sure the National Strength and Conditioning Association has an exercise library um, for a, a lot of movements, and so you can kind of compare your videos to the videos of professionals doing it and then maybe see where maybe you might not be moving correctly and kind of try to work. If you don't have a coach, it's the, the next best way to kind of refine your technique. I think, yeah, be careful with the YouTube coaching. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely, and the Instagram coaching. Definitely, I, I love Instagram, but some of that coaching on there is a little... Sketchy would be nice. Well, well, yeah, not saying it was sketchy. I definitely stick with more professional sites. Like the National Strength Conditioning Association is kind of the main governing body for strength and conditioning coaches. So you can trust that they'll have quality videos. Okay. We'll make sure we definitely link to that website yeah. uh, in the notes. So and, and, you know, we have a couple of videos on our site, don't we? About 300 or so. Yeah, yeah. just a few. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some with Frank in them, actually. Actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah, some with Frank. Um so, so what are some other, so we've talked about the benefits of eccentric training or potential reasons why people would do this. Number one, uh, increases the ability for energy to be stored in tendons and, and muscle tissue. Mm-hmm. Number two, allows them to own the technique. So particularly if you're a newbie or beginner, uh, and particularly at the complex movements, right? So squatting, deadlifting, like a hip hinge move, uh, a press move. What are some other ones? I know there's a, there's a bunch. What are some other benefits? Some other benefits? Um... Well, one big benefit is kind of building off the last two is the reduction in injuries. Um, so if you're better capable of handling force, um, like absorbing force, you're less likely to get injured. And so the majority of injuries actually happen during the eccentric phase of movement is when people try to generate a lot of force more than they can handle. And then they typically have a compensation because they can't handle that much force. And then that's mm-hmm. when injuries commonly happen. I actually, so. I actually had a guy this morning that that he was trying to do. We're rehabbing him from a back injury, and he went to go do a box jump, and it was in the eccentric load part that he felt the twinge mm-hmm. because exactly. he he totally lost his bracing and wasn't able to control it. Um, well, another benefit is um, eccentric exercise causes a lot of muscle damage, which is one of the main stimuluses for developing bigger muscles, and so you can help if you're trying to build muscle. Um, maybe increase your weight a little bit. Eccentric exercise is conducive towards um, creating uh, better gains in muscle mass. So I think some people when they hear 
that type of exercise is going to damage my muscles more. Right, that yeah. sounds a little um, scary. <laughs> so I think it's right. important that that's, but like you said, I think I wanted to just highlight that, that it is at, it, the only way you're going to build more muscle. Mm. I think we hear a lot of people talk, I just want to tone up. Like yeah. you have to build muscle to tone up. You know, there's going to be a burning of fat and non-lean yeah. mass too. But So if any type of exercise, you're creating little tears in your muscle. That's what I mean by muscle damage. It's not like... Not, nothing catastrophic, but any sort of exercise that is challenging is going to create small tears, which is going to st stimulate the muscles to grow. And so um, that's what I'm referring to. Just want to make sure we highlighted that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want people that. thinking I'm damaging myself yeah. by <laughs> working um, out. But I think another great benefit that I was hoping you could talk more about, particularly for, I'm going to single out our us men, as we get older, we tend to get pretty tight. Uh, mm -hmm. I know we have a lot of members here that, mm -hmm. you know, 50 plus and sitting at desks for a long period of time and they just kind of have tightened up. They're not very non-elastic. Mm -hmm. uh, eccentric exercise also can help mobility, right? Absolutely. Um, so eccentric exercise, you know, part of developing mobility is teaching our body how to use new ranges of motion. So after we kind of, if with soft tissue work or with stretching things, we can temporarily open some new range of motion, but we got to be able to utilize that and teach your body how to use it again. So eccentric exercise is great for moving our body through a full range of motion, controlled and for longer periods of time. So kind of teaching our body how to use that range of motion. And there's some research that suggests that we might actually produce new muscle cells with eccentric exercise. That's essentially actually lengthening the muscle itself, which wow. can contribute to mobility in the long run. Not something you need. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've got extra mobility. But eccentric exercise for you would potentially serve from the benefits of maybe not going through full ranges of motion mm -hmm. where, you know, or dangerous ranges of motion, but in terms of putting more load through the tissue, helping those tendons and tissues to get stronger. So right. uh, for those of you who may have missed the earlier episodes with Alos Danlos, you'd get are you not get but you're, you're more you're much more mobile uh, right. and your tissue tends to break easier i guess yes. is the way to put yeah. it i tear things easily yeah. so and then most of those tears typically occur at the change in elasticity so mm -hmm. between the muscle and the tendon which have different elastic properties between the tendon and the bone which have different elastic properties and using eccentric exercise actually stresses those areas and trains them to absorb that energy better right so in that instance, we may use eccentric exercises in a rehab protocol or exercise protocol for somebody who's hypermobile or you know, with something like Ehlers-Danlos. Mm -hmm. uh, but for we may also use eccentric exercise, but for a different goal in my 55-year-old who can't touch his toes, <laughs> we may use that from you know going from an, a deadlift through whatever range of motion is safe for them and over time trying to get them so they can get down to touch their toes. So I think that's the cool thing to me with eccentric exercises there's so many applications for people in all different phases and needs that um, it's a very flexible tool so for the uh, whoever you are out there that that i think wendy was was is your name that they put a lot of these questions out there there's a lot of different applications depending on what your needs are that eccentric exercise could be huge for you absolutely um, so how would you recommend that, <laughs> that wendy or somebody else like wendy would get started with doing eccentric training if they don't have you there with them. Yeah, it's a great, a great way to just kind of ease into eccentric training. It's just by being more cognizant during the lower portion of the phase, maybe shooting for just a three-second descent, you know, and something longer than most people spend. 
um, but not something as long as some of the recommendations around eccentric training. So it's a great way to kind of get a feel for it and ease yourself into it um, with exercises you're already familiar with and feel confident in the technique of. Um, and then as you get more confident with that type of exercise, you can either go for longer durations or applying it to um, other exercises. You know, when so, so when you say durate, like how long should they be? Like what are like for a squat, should they be taking 30 seconds to get from top to bottom? I mean, how long should they be working on that? Um, oh, it depends from how much weight you're you're using um, and what your goals are and your experience with eccentric exercise. So um, you can do as little as three seconds and it still has, has benefits for developing eccentric strength. Um, some recommendations go as high as an eight second descent. Um, typically anything much more than that isn't necessarily going to yield much more. Um, it's going to maybe inhibit the weight to a degree that might take away from the overall effect. Um, but but typically in that like three seconds up to like 10 second range mm -hmm. um, is kind of what we shoot for. Okay. And then how would they determine how much weight to do? Um, well, there are some recommendations. Um, Cal Dietz uh, and Ben I think Peterson mm -hmm. wrote a, a book called Triphasic Training in which they have some detailed um, recommendations based off their experiences as coaches um, on um, actual Durations and sets and reps based off the percentage of your one rep max that you're working at. Okay, so we'll definitely make sure we put that resource in yeah. there. Um, and then I guess the the other benefit that that we didn't talk about in relation to that is you don't need as much weight as absolutely <laughs> as yeah. concentric training sometimes to get a, a really good benefit. And that's yeah. one of the reasons we liked it with our kids and our you know, our adults who are. And they maybe are in two times a week. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do maximal loading. We really could sit in that sixty to seventy-five percent range, yeah, and get pretty good results from it. And it's a great when you're just starting off because, like you said, you you lose you, you're using less weight, and something you feel more in control of, more confident, and develop the ability to control that weight first before attempting heavier weights. That's great. And so yeah. now, if somebody has the choice, so some people maybe there's just nobody around who can help them. If somebody has a choice and they're debating, should I work with a coach? Do I should I try it on my own? What would your your process be? Like if you explain to them, if you could be like their brain and say, this would be the checklist I would go through if I want to work with this person. What should they look for in a, in a good coach? And when would be instances where you're like, you definitely need to work with a coach versus, you know what, you're probably okay to try this on your own. Okay. Um, I definitely recommend trying to find a coach. I think... Um, a good coach can make a huge difference in any athlete's um, training. Um, there are instances when I think it's all right to go by yourself, um, but I, I kind of like the analogy of a training being like you know a destination on a on a road trip, you know, um, and a, a good coach is like your map or your GPS nowadays, you know. Like without the coach, you know, you'll probably still make some progress, but the chances of you ending up where you want to be are a lot slimmer than if you, you know, had a good right. coach who, who knew how to get you there. Um, so a good coach. And, and probably a more efficient route. Yeah, absolutely. And so a good coach will um, have the background and education in um, exercise and be able to communicate in a way that makes sense. And so they'll be able to understand kind of the process that needs to happen, how to sequence things that lead you to where you want to be and then be able to communicate that to you in a way that makes sense and resonates with you um, because if, it, if it doesn't matter how smart your coach is if they can't communicate it well to you um, they're not going to be effective mm -hmm. so I think it's a combination of finding a coach one who 
who has a strong education in exercise science, um, and then two, has practical application and is uh, a good communicator. You know, you, when, before working with a coach, definitely recommend, you know, maybe sitting down and having a, a talk with them, almost like a, an interview with your coach, and just kind of see, like, does your communication style match up well um, with how you learn? Because um, otherwise, um, communication is huge between the coach and the athlete, and it's kind of the whole foundation for your effective uh, training plan. Because uh, you can have the best training plan in the world, and things aren't always going to go um, as 100% according to plan. So that's where a coach's experience and ability to communicate are going to come into effect. How would the average gym goer figure out <clears throat> there's three trainers at their gym? Mm. How do you know who's who knows what they're talking about? Or if, you know, oh, my friend's brother trains people. How, how do you know, does this person really know what they're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so most gyms will have kind of like a bio for their, for their trainers. And so you can kind of see one, uh, do they have a degree in the field in exercise science? And two, usually they'll have some sort of certifications. And then like being able to recognize who certified them and maybe look them up and, and get more information that way. As far as coaches go, um, some good certifications are like the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist is kind of considered the gold standard in our field. Um, so seeing that CSCS after a name is an indicator that someone at least had the knowledge um, necessary to um, pass the NSEA's um, essentials, which is kind of the essentials of being a, a good strength and conditioning mm -hmm. coach. And, uh, and then, then looking at their prior experiences too. Uh, um, a, a good coach will have, have a developed experience over time and that will be able to represent their knowledge. And then you can kind of see if the people they've worked with are similar to, to you and, and they, if they actually have experience working with an athlete who has the same goals as you do. Very cool. Okay. Any other questions on how you would find a coach? Um, if only you worked at a place that had I would just ask you. <laughs> <laughs> or Frank. Another great resource is you can actually go on to some of these sites. Like the NSCA has a list of their coaches, and you can find one near you. And then go and try to introduce yourself and, and see if it be a good match. Mm -hmm. we'll make sure we put that link on there yeah. in, the, in the bio, too. Um, I guess the last question that, that uh, I'm not sure if the viewer put this in here, if this is Sissy. She tends to go the dark way. But um, <laughs> basically... Uh, have you experienced or have you heard of, and you don't have to tell us which of these, uh, like horror stories, people just not doing it right, bad training mistakes. I know there's a great video yeah. of you yes. that didn't bail correctly. There's a very, well. Is uh, that on your Instagram? It is. We'll definitely need to link to that. Yes. You, you can check it out. I, I share my successes and my failures on Instagram. And it so was a glorious failure. It was a glorious failure. <laughs> and say, I have some good successes, but that was definitely my best failure. So well, I think the best part of that was the PR squat, like 30 oh, yeah. minutes after. Yeah. I think the combination of frustration and embarrassment definitely spurred me on to that <laughs> yeah. so we're, we're gonna we're gonna leave it at that you need to go to the, the link uh watch well can we just title the link frank's glorious failure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll also we'll have to follow that up with his his success after yeah. i think that's on yes. your instagram as well too but yes. um yeah but uh serious with clients or you know you're, so you're mm -hmm. you're not your average gym goer yeah but you know somebody who's trying to get stronger trying to do the right things and just is not 
educated and or has been given bad information or you know, is YouTube training, if we want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what are some horror stories or some things that you could talk about that might kind of give warning to people who maybe are going to go this alone a little bit? And if we can stop one of one barbell from hitting someone on a head, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some horror stories. Um, well, I've seen a a lot of not a lot of ugly things in the gym before, as far as technique goes. Um, like but, most most common ones that you see, or uh, most common ones, I think would be probably with like people trying to do deadlifts or things like that, as rounding the back, people not knowing mm-hmm. how to brace, um, which is kind of a a more difficult concept than people think. It's not just you know squeezing your belly really hard. You know there, mm-hmm. you know there's actually a proper way to to brace. Um, and so, um, that's where having a coach or just doing some, some research can help you kind of understand how to properly, you know, brace and create tension throughout your body before you attempt a lift. So you can make sure you keep your spine in a good position. Um, a lot of back injuries happen that where people allow their spine to round, um, whether it's in a squat or a deadlift, um, or any number of exercises. Um, that's, that's never a good thing if, if your spine's rounding like that. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, if your spine is, if you have load, yeah, and your spine is dynamically flexing <laughs> and extending like a worm, yeah, um, it's not a good idea. That's not a good thing. Yeah, um, e- even I know that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the analogy we always use for that is, uh, you think of your spine kind of like a two by four, mm-hmm. and it's got a hinge on your hips, and it's just that two by four is just moving off of your hips because your hips are doing most of the work. Yeah, um, I think when that two by four looks like a wet piece of spaghetti. That's when uh, yeah, things trouble. are about to happen. <laughs> I think uh, another common one is of things like like kipping pull ups and things of that nature. Um, there's some controversy over that, and you know, there's obviously some athletes who can do things like kipping pull ups. Um, but kind of think about you know that idea of kipping is you're kind of relying a lot on that that tendon, and if you don't have the strength and the strong enough tendon to handle that, it, a lot of people. I have uh, shoulder injuries developed because of kipping pull-ups or trying things like that. Um, and when you see like professional athletes or like high-level athletes doing some of these things, you have to realize they've developed a really strong foundation, which allows them to now be able to do some of those things safely. Which doesn't mean that you can do those same things without first developing that same foundation. Right. Um, so, just just because you see it. Yeah. on the internet doesn't mean you should try it nobody posts their foundational work on instagram no. exactly. that's not very sexy see well all you see on instagram is the the fun like you know highlight parts of their workouts um so you don't see all the stuff that went to the background to getting them where they're at right um and athletes have very specific reasons for doing certain things so just because you you see it uh, a high level athlete doing it doesn't mean that is necessarily the best thing for you individually and your goals. Yeah. Um, they might have specific um, limitations, like injuries or things that cause them to change the way they perform an exercise um, so that they avoid injury for them or the optimized performance in their particular sport. Um, but that might not transfer to you because you might not have an in- the same injury you're working around or the same, the same sports and movements um, necessary in those, those sports. That's awesome. Well, we really thank you for taking yes. your time to be here. I want to make sure we get people your how they can get a hold of you. I know you, you do um, Kilos in the Kitchen, so that's, that's your nutrition coaching site. Yes. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, well, you can reach me either through www.kilosinthekitchen.com. I have a contact me page, but you can also email me um, at frank at kilosinthekitchen.com. 
Um, and I, I check that pretty regularly. So if you, if you send me an email, I'll get back to you pretty quick. Okay. And then you're on uh, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. What, what's your so handle there? There's a Kilos in the Kitchen Instagram page, but I also have a personal one. That's uh, frmuntis45. My last name is um, M-U-N-T-I-S. And I'm pretty sure that's the one if my epic fail on it. So, um, <laughs> we'll if, definitely have a link to You're about to blow that. up in followers. <laughs> yes. So yes. If, you, if you want to see um, a, a pretty epic fail, that you should yeah. check it out. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll make sure we put all that content mm-hmm. information uh, in the episode notes. And uh, We really appreciate you being here, man, uh, sharing your knowledge you with everybody. And uh, I think I feel smarter. Well, that's great. Yeah. Right, time to go do some eccentric uh, right? squats yeah. or something. Yeah, with you know, 200 pounds, right? That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just put Frank on your back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Hopefully, you got a lot from Frank. Uh, he's such a smart guy. If you guys do need nutrition coaching or just want to talk to a great expert, please reach out to him. Uh, he's you know beyond just being an intelligent, great coach. He's just a great guy, too. Um, so um, be sure to comment if uh, you do like his fail, too. We uh, Maybe we'll track yeah. how many hits that gets over <laughs> the next week or so. Um, But we'll see you guys uh, next week. Thanks for hanging out with us as always. Uh, Make sure thumbs up and five stars. Keep Terry smiling. Yes. And we'll see you guys soon. Have a great week. Have a great week.